Thank you for that. Hey, it's, it's uh, I got to say, it's an honor to be here. Um, when, when I met Jim and Mary, um, gosh, yeah, it was about a year ago up in Pennsylvania, um, the thing that, that got me was he, he took the offering, and it was like drinking out of a fire hose for about 10 minutes. And I'm sitting there with, with some of my friends, and we're all going, who is this guy? Why have we never heard of him? Why have we never seen him before? It was amazing. And so he was so impactful that uh, they asked him to take the offering the next day. So we had about, would you? No, I'm not kidding. Actually, what they did, he actually taught the next day on, on finances and just prosperity and all that, which was awesome. And uh, so I said, oh, I got to have this guy come up and do our conference. And so um, anyway, that worked out. And the booming mecca of Chalice, Idaho, there's a thousand people in the town. In the entire county, there's not one traffic light. So that lets you know where it is. Up in the middle of the mountains, it's absolutely awesome, gorgeous. And uh, I love it up there. It's just, uh, it's just small. It's just small. But Jim and Mary came up, and they blew the place away. And uh, I, I got to tell you, Jim, I don't know if I told you this, but um, I can, I, there's been at least, at least one person. No, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. There's been several people who have come up and said, this so changed my life. And uh, one particular man that I knew, he was, um, was kind of just depressed. He'd had a rough 12 years, and he'd come out of prison, all kinds of things. And uh, he listened to your series on identity radically changed his life. I mean, absolutely set him on fire. And uh, so it's just, it's, it's a thrill to be able to be here with you guys. You get this every day. You get, you get to hang around the sky all the time, him and Mary. Uh, we get them once in a while. So yeah, it's, re it's really fun. You know, that's one of the things I've, I've loved about um, being in the ministry is you get to meet guys like this that you normally would, you know, you probably would never have met in your whole life. Am I messing that up up there? No, okay, you guys are doing it good. That's right. You're controlling back there. What I'm doing up here is different. All right. Hang on just a second. Um, and this, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. But can you go back to the first slide? The first slide that has, or do you have a slide? You don't even have the slides that have my information on it. No, I put this on afterwards. Okay. If you ever want to get a hold of us, uh, our ministry is called Purpose International. And, but if you go to the web, it's just the word purpose, then the number three, purpose3.com. And uh, I've been teaching Purpose and Destiny for about 40 years. Uh, I've got about a dozen different curriculums uh, that have been all over the world. I go into that through the, through the seminar. Um, but if you ever want to get a hold of us, tonight we'll have the right slide up there and you can see everything. But this is the book we're going to be talking about. Um, but where was I? I was talking about, oh yeah, just when you're in ministry and you get to hang around guys like Jim and, and people like Mary, it is just so much fun. Uh, to see the different things that are going on in Christendom. Because when you're just in the same place, you kind of hear, hear what's happening here. And if they don't tell you things, you can miss things. So I love to travel. I loved, I've, had the, I've had the absolute privilege of going around the world, I think 20 countries, uh, five or six continents. And it's, it's been a thrill. But let me say this. I would trade it all if God would have let me stay in one place for 40 years. Because the, the deep relationships you build when you're in the same place for that many years are so vital for what you have to do. Now, I'm, I'm just one of those guys where God says, look, about every 10 years, I'm moving you. 
Okay, that's fine if that's what he wants to do because I'm not here for me, I'm here for him, right? But if you have the privilege of being in one place for a very, very long time, people come through and they tell you their stories or the missionaries like Emily or whatever, that's wonderful. But listen, if you're where God wants you to be, I, I, you have my respect. You, and you ha- I, I just, I love the fact that there's people who just stay in one place. It's such a need. I know sometimes we don't think about that because we, we hear all the stories, you know, all the wonderful, glorious, glorious stories of the people who go. And definitely you should go because that's where miracles happen. In fact, when uh, we first were meeting Jim, I think we had like three hours. We just sat there and talked, right? And that was several of us in the room. It wasn't just me and him. And what caught me was when he said, yeah, we've raised about 14 people from the dead. And I said, well, I've never raised anybody from the dead. I raised a cat from the dead one time. <laughs> but I didn't even like the cat. I mean, it was, you know, it's like, I'm not a cat person, but it was my wife's cat and got hit by a car. I was laying dead in the road. And I went, you know, part of me was like, maybe I can bury him. She'll forget. And, you know, nah, it's not going to work. So I lay hands on this cat in the middle of the street. And I said, just come back, you know. And boom, cat stands up, you know. And, but the, the problem was, and, and part of me is going, man, why did that work? The other part's going, well, that's good. But then the problem was, because my faith was not really there, I mean, it wasn't a love act by any stretch. So the cat, when it got hit by the car, it, it, it cleaved the palate, right? Cracked his palate inside, and that didn't heal. So every time the cat ate, it would gag and, and spit stuff out, and usually at me. And, you know, I'm like... So when I hear about somebody raising all these people from the dead, I go, okay, somebody's doing it right. You know, I mean, that's just, so it's, it's awesome. And listen, if you guys have been here, you know, any length of time and, and you've been around the people who have been, now it's, it's over, what, 17 or 18 now, people you've raised from the dead, you know? I've never been to a church that raised one from the dead. Not one. I haven't been to a church other than that cat, you know? So you have a very, very unique, awesome thing going on here and a responsibility to share it with the world and continue to believe. believe. Believe for hundreds raised from the dead. I totally believe in all that, and I'm believing someday I'll see it from a personal standpoint, see people raised from the dead. That's my goal. You know, I want everything Jesus paid for, 100% of it, everything. And if that means... You know, doing the shake and bake sometime in front of a bunch of people. I don't care. <laughs> Give it to me, you know. And I've seen thousands of miracles, like Jim said. And I saw them in prisons and juvenile homes. I saw them on the streets. saw them in churches, Jesus festivals, you know, civic auditoriums, gymnasiums. I mean, it didn't matter. People's homes. Uh, and that is absolutely awesome. But I am not satisfied. Okay? I'm not satisfied. Because I haven't done everything that Jesus did in greater. And I haven't done more than he did. That I, well, maybe I spoke to more people on TV or something. But I mean, that, I mean that, that doesn't count for me. You know, I want to, he controlled the weather. He controlled animals. He controlled finances. He got translated, transfigured, transformed. I mean, all these things. I want all that. Because he paid for it. He deserves that. I'm not, I don't deserve it. He deserves that. Right? So what we're going to talk about this, this uh, next few days, we're going to talk about um, your specific purpose in life. You have a specific thing that you're supposed to do. So I always start out uh, with, uh, let me see if this is working. Yeah, three questions. There's three questions I always ask everybody. 
And everything I'm going to teach over the next three weeks comes out of this book called Your, Your Unique Purpose. This is the third or fourth iteration of the very first book that I wrote, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, there's, I think we only brought a case, like a case of these or something, so there's like 60 of these out there if you want them. Might get one for, per family or something. Um, three questions I always ask, so I'm going to ask you. And I've asked these for 40 years, and everywhere I go, secular, different countries, doesn't matter. Uh, I always ask the same three questions. Number one is, do you know why you're alive on the planet and what you're supposed to do as a believer? And I'm not talking about the Christian cliches of, yes, I'm supposed to be the light of the world, and I'm supposed to be here to bless people, you know, and be in fellowship. Not that. All that's good. I'm talking about what is it that you are called to do? Why are you here? That you're who are you specifically supposed to be? Can you tell me in at least two senses or less? How many of you can do that? Uh, I got about 10 hands. Okay. So of you 10 who raised your hands, how many of you have a written plan so that at the end of your life you absolutely know you accomplished it? Got three. Okay. So my fourth qu third question is, third question is, do you think it's possible to live in the highest faith and in the highest confidence as a believer in Jesus if you can't answer yes to the first two? Anybody think you can do it? Okay, so have I got the right crowd for this seminar? Right? So, it, listen, it's the same. It has never changed. I wish it had changed. In 40 years, it's always the same. About 1% of any given audience can say, yes, I know why I'm here, and I have a plan, and I'm walking it out. Would you like to have a plan? Would you like to know beyond a shadow of a doubt why you're here and how to get it done? That's what we're going to do at this seminar. I know that people, oh, that's a big order. I don't know if you can do that. I just happen to believe all things are possible. I also have to believe I've been doing this a long, long time, and I've watched it happen again and again and again. This works. Now, here's the thing. When the Lord told me to teach on purpose and destiny, my first thing was, what? You got, you're kidding me? I mean, I was a mistake looking for a place to happen most of my life. I mean, I was a mess. I mean, when I got saved, I'd been drunk for three weeks every night. I was, a, I was a borderline alcoholic, okay? I mean, I had no direction, didn't know who I was, didn't, I had nothing, I had nothing. But I did have one dream, I had one dream, and that dream was I wanted to be a professional performer of some sort, and that hit me when I was six years old, on a stage, Christmas play, in kindergarten, six years old, what are you doing? I mean, we're just walking, I don't even know what we did, we walked around, whatever, Came to the front, took a bow. Everybody stood up, all 50 of them probably in this little town I lived in. And they all clapped. And in my little six-year-old mind, I went, this is awesome. <laughs> I said, I'm doing this forever. <laughs> and we laugh, and I laugh at it too. But I've never wavered from that, from when I was six years old. That dream God put in me. That was God saying, this is what you're made for, Bill. I didn't know it then. I had no religious background. My mom dragged us to Episcopal Church till I was about 12. Then I was bigger than she was, and she couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I just didn't care. And it was a dead church. I mean, it was doubly dead. I mean, there was nothing there that was moving. Most of the people in the pews, I wondered if they were going to make it out alive. I mean, it was just like, really? This, there was nothing there. So I didn't have any religious anything to 
forget when I got saved. You hear what I said? I didn't have any religion in me. I had nothing. I was a heathen. I was just a sinner. I was really good at that. Um, but I had this dream that I wanted to be a performer. So, I mean, I would do anything to get on the stage. And when I was in fifth grade, I, I, used to, I grew up watching the MGM musicals. This is back in the 50s, right, when I'm a little kid, into the 60s. And so I'm watching the MGM musicals, and so I want to be a song and dance guy. I'm going to be Gene Kelly, or I'm going to be Fred Astaire, or something like that. So in fifth grade, fifth grade, how old are you in fifth grade? What are you, 12? What are you, 10? 10, something like that, whatever. I took ballroom dancing because I wanted to be a hoofer. I, wanted, I, you know, I was going to take tap. I was going to do all this stuff. The problem was I was the only guy in the whole class, which was, you know, if I'd been a few years older, that would have been really cool. <laughs> but uh, when you're in fifth grade and all the girls are taller than you, it's not cool. So anyway, what I'm saying is I was trying to do anything. Um, I, went, I went to see the movie um, uh, Mary Poppins. And all of the chimney sweeps are dancing up on, the, on their roof and on the chimneys. So what did I do? When I went home, I jumped up on my roof of my house. And I'm dancing on the roof. And then I thought, I'll dance on the chimney. So I stepped up on the chimney, which is, you know, a story and a half to the ground. And, and I'm in sixth grade. And I'm dancing on the thing. And all of a sudden, my leg goes down the chimney, and I bounce my head off the top of the, off the, top of the chimney. Now I got a concussion, and I'm sitting there with my leg down the chimney, and I'm going, what, what just happened? <laughs> and I'm just, saying, I'm just saying that because that's how, how I was caught up in that dream. But I didn't realize it was a God dream because I didn't know him. Went to Florida State University. There's a circus on campus. That's where I learned all my circus skills. My, that's where I met my wife. Um, she was already a trapeze artist, and I, I saw her in the tent, and I went, I want that one right there. Right, I want that one. And we've been together 45 years, been married 43 years, uh, have three kids. Yeah, it's awesome. Have three kids, have six grandkids, and uh, they all love the Lord. Uh, I would say they're all living for the Lord, but that's not true, they, but they do all love him. And uh, <clears throat> I'll, buy, I'll take that. I'll take that much. I'll take that much. So... Uh, after at Florida State, uh, you know, I got born again my first quarter freshman year. Um, you guys don't mind this travelogue, do you? It's, it's really taken us to what we're going to talk about. Um, so I get born again my first quarter freshman year of college, and it's, I'm radical. Now, see, at this point, by the time I got to, you know, I'm 18, and I am a really, I'm not a good kid. I was not a good person at that point. I was doing a lot of bad things. The only reason I didn't go to prison was probably, I just didn't get caught. And um, so, you know, I'd been drunk for three weeks, going to all the frat parties, didn't care. I just went to school to get away from home, had no direction whatsoever. I had no direction. I had this little dream in my heart. By then, the best I could think was, okay, I'm really heavy into martial arts. I'll go to Hollywood and be a stuntman. I mean, this was really what I was thinking. Well, meet some people. They're the first Christians that I met because I probably got, I probably had about, 20, 30 people give me the gospel. This is back in 1970, 1971. Jesus' movement's just exploding. But it was when I saw people living it, and they, were, they, weren't, they didn't look goofy and sound goofy, right? You know Christians can really sound goofy. You know that, right? 
hey, brother, are you washed in the blood? You know, do you need your sins forgiven? What? I mean, I, can I give you the four spiritual laws? No. I mean, that's, I mean, that was my answer, right? I was like, just no. Because there was, it was just all this in-your-face stuff, and I wasn't seeing anybody living it. Because remember, I came from a dead church when I was 12, so I'd had six years of nothing. And then I met some people who actually were living the life, and they were happy, and they weren't on drugs or drunk. So I thought, I got to know, what's up, what's up with this? Anyway, I get born again, radical, instant change. All, you know, my life radically changes. I become an instant evangelist. My life wasn't lining up with that, but I'm telling everybody about Jesus. I was so radically different. My parents thought I was on drugs because I wasn't angry, and I wasn't, uh, just wasn't this dark person anymore. I'm like, what happened to you? So I told them. Well, my mom thought she was a Christian because she went to church. So she gets born again. Yeah. And then my brother, then my sister, then my other brother, then my other sister. And then finally, my dad gets saved the day he dies. Yeah. In the hospital. Awesome. Now, I say it's awesome that he got born again, but my dad and I never had a conversation our whole life. The only conversation we ever had was when he was yelling at me, throwing me across the room, or, or hitting me for whatever. He wasn't a bad man, but he was a bad father, right? There's a difference. He just didn't know how to love his kids. And I gave him every reason not to love me because I was a very bad person. So uh, since, you know, so I was actually performing my very first professional circus performance when I got the phone call that he had just died. My sister called me and I said, here's my answer. So am I supposed to, you, you want a reaction? It's not coming. You know, didn't like the guy. Didn't go to his funeral, and I regret all those things, by the way. And since then, I've just had a wonderful time. I've had wonderful dreams where the Lord has shown me my dad in heaven and all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of great things. That's all been reconciled. I can't wait to see him, kiss him, and all that stuff. So, but I was like, when the Lord told me to start writing this book, see, we had the circus. We, we, um, let me just back up here. So, went professional, realized my wife and I were both born again, but we are just learning about the Lord, and we said, okay, this is not what we're supposed to do. What are we supposed to do? So I quit circus. I said, you know what, Lord? Performing has been my life. Circus became my God. I put it all down, and just whatever you want, that's all I want. But I'll never do circus again unless it's for you. Never thinking, never thinking that he'd say, yeah, that's what I made you for. Uh, so over the next year, he tells me about how to start this Christian circus, and I'm sharing it with my wife, and she's going, you're crazy. I'm not in. You know, I'm not, I'm not following you anymore into that nonsense. Nobody believed me, but for a year, the Lord's telling me how to put it together. And so at the end of that year, I said, you know, we're, we're living in Colorado, and uh, I said, Meg, you know, uh, the Lord told me we're supposed to start the circus now. We're supposed to move to Tampa, Florida, and start the circus. Neither of us had ever lived in Tampa, so that didn't make any sense. So she said, I'm not going. I said, let's fast and pray and just see what God says. And if he doesn't tell you we're supposed to go, we won't go. Because I'd already dragged her all over the place. So she said, fair deal. So we started our fast. I went to work. Came back for lunch. She goes, we're supposed to go. <laughs> I said, what? You know, she says, well, I, I put this fleece out before the Lord because it's all we knew then. And I just said, Lord, if you want me to go, you got to show me but I need scripture. So she turns on the radio that morning. As she turns on the radio, wives, submit to your husbands, turns the radio off. <laughs> Goes to the mailbox, gets a newsletter 
The title is, Wives, Submit to Your Husbands. <laughs> and then she goes, okay, this, you know. She goes, okay, there's this cat across the street she was taking care of that was really, really sick. And uh, she said, if I go over into that, that uh, garage over there and that cat is up and totally healed, I'll know it's you. And, of course, cat comes out purring, just absolutely perfect. And so she says, yeah, we're supposed to go. All right, so... So anyway, we go, we start the circus in Tampa, Florida, had our first show in 1978 in May, um, all kinds of miracles, I can't, I haven't got time to go into all those, uh, so we had this Christian circus, and um, you know, people are getting saved, and uh, uh, it was just amazing, I mean, it was always, it always amazed me, I look back on it and go, I can't believe that stuff happened, my, my, my carnal mind has trouble believing the things that we did, right, my spirit is like, yeah, that was so awesome. We had about 65 people come through our, our show uh, as performers and ministers. They w we would have taken teenagers, and we'd taken some like, somebody like Jim. Well, probably not Jim. Oh, uh, yeah, we would have taken someone like Jim, and we would, have turned, we would have turned them into performers. So we had doctors. We had, uh, we had doctors. We had nurses. We had carpenters. We had teachers. We had single moms. We had all these amazing people who would come and we'd teach them how to do circus, then we'd teach them how to preach and how to minister to people. And uh, it was awesome, absolutely awesome for 12 years. Well, during that time, because no one had ever done anything like that before, I had nowhere to go to, to verify that, hey, this is, a, this is God, other than God said to do it, so we were obeying. But during that time, we had hundreds and hundreds of Christians, like the first three years or so, coming up to us after every show going, how did you figure this out? How did you figure out you were supposed to be a Christian circus performer evangelist healing wacko? How did you figure that out? <laughs> and I, I tell him my story. You know, I said, this is what happened. And this is how God led me. Well, we did that for years. And finally, I said, you know what? This is nuts. I can't do this every single time. Um, and, I, and I'm thinking, does anybody in the church actually know why they're on the planet? Does anybody know how to find their purpose? So I made a tape, gave out hundreds of tapes. That didn't really, that wasn't doing the job either. So I went to the Lord one day. I said, look, Lord, I said, uh, I've looked everywhere for books. I mean, there weren't even secular books in, in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s about how to find your purpose. Um, Purpose-driven life came out like after our circus was over. I mean, it was it was nothing. So I said, can you get one of your generals to write a book on how to find your purpose? You know, and he goes, yeah, you do it. I said, okay, you didn't, you didn't hear me. Okay, and one of your generals to write a book. I said, nobody knows me. I don't have a voice. You know, I'm just this circus guy doing these little shows. All he said, you write it. We went back and forth for a while. He won. And um, I wrote, it took me a year and a half to write the book because I'd never written a book. Submitted to Whitaker House Publishers, who at that point was one of the largest Christian publishers. They instant, I mean, literally, we sent, I sent in, you know, the, the, what you're supposed to send, the query letter and the other things about some chapter summaries. Three days after I mailed it, they called me. And they said, look, do you have this thing done? Yes, I do. Is it edited? No, it's not. How long? I take about three weeks. They said, great, we want it. We're sending you the contract today. We're already implementing Listen to this. We're already implementing the, pro the, the principles in your book into our business. And I went, what? <laughs> I mean, I did a lot of that. You know, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> and uh, so I thought, okay, well, this is how you do books, right? 
You send it in, they call you up, they say yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, what do I know? I've never done it before. And then I find out, no, oh, no, no, we turn down 3,000 manuscripts a year. We print 10. Yours is the first one we ever used to implement the practices, the principles in your book into our business. The book goes all over the world. I don't care because I'm an evangelist and I don't like the church. <laughs> Just being honest, I didn't like the church because I'm thinking the churches don't have, the Christians don't have a clue why they're even on the planet. Why am I wasting my time with them? I want to go to the heathen and get them born again. I mean, that's where I was. That is not noble. Okay? <laughs> that's not okay. So, but anyway, um, so the book goes around the world. I start getting, I start getting um, letters and faxes from, I mean, from literally all over the world. I got some from Italy, got Europe, Africa. I mean, it was amazing. But my favorite was I get this letter this one day, and I'm reading it, and this lady, and these are all handwritten. I still have them. And she said, I, I, I was going to commit suicide. I had it all planned out exactly what I was going to do the day before I was going to kill myself because I was so miserable, somebody handed me your book. I read it all night long, realized why I was so miserable, walked into my boss the next day, quit my job. I've now opened a dress shop, which is what I always wanted to do, and I'm getting women saved, and I couldn't be happier. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, that's awesome. But guess what her job was? She was a worship leader in church. She was a worship leader because her parents told her she should because she could sing and play piano. She hated it. She always wanted to be a dressmaker. She loved working with fabric. And so she finally, she, she stepped into what she was supposed to do. One of my good friends, this is in the book, he was in our circus, and great young guy, and uh, his name was Chris, and uh, he was getting ready to, to, to leave the store because he was going to go to college. I said, what are you going to college for? He goes, oh, I'm going to be a dentist. I said, uh, what? A dentist? Nothing against dentists. I put several dentist kids through college with my own teeth. <laughs> okay, uh, nothing against dentists. But I said, a dentist? Chris, you're not a dentist. I said, why do you want to be a dentist? Well, my parents, you know, I said, do you want to be a dentist? No, I want to be a pastor. I said, why do you want to be a dentist? Because my parents said that I should be a, a dentist. And he loved his parents. Parents were awesome. Wonderful, wonderful people. And he had so much respect for his parents that he just wanted to please them. And I said, dude, no, that's not okay. I said, you know, you leave your mom and dad. Okay, and, and anyway, long story short, he calls his mom. I said, look, we're, call, we're calling your mom today. I knew her. We're calling your mom and dad today. We're going to talk this through. We call them. He says, hey, you know, I'm... Uh, what I really want to do is be a pastor. They're like, awesome, that'd be great. He goes, wait a minute, I thought you wanted to be a dentist. He said, no, that's because you had no direction. We thought we'd just give you something, see if, see if you wanted to do it. <laughs> right? So he's been a pastor, an associate pastor with another friend of ours who was in our circus, um, and uh, pastor like a six or 7,000 member church down in Florida. Just amazing, amazing. He is the pastor of pastors, this guy. But all that to say... I had no clue why I was, I mean, I changed my major five times in college. I mean, purpose was, I was not the guy. So when God says, write, you know, write this book on purpose, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? What? 
But he said to do it, so I said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what I'm here for. So here's, here's what it's all about. The Lord said in, in Jeremiah 29, actually 10, uh, 11, actually through 14, you should read all those verses. But he said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you, no calamity involved. I want to bless you. And you know what? When you step into those plans, you're going to be able to hear my voice. I'm going to restore your fortunes. I mean, the promises are amazing. He says, I'm going to return you to the place where you were before I, you know, before I scattered you, which is Jerusalem, which is the holy city. I mean, it's all, you can apply this to Jerusalem. You can, I mean, to the Jews, you can apply it to yourself. I mean, all the way to, you know, the new Jerusalem coming down. But the point is, he knows. God knows the plans that he has for every one of us. Now, look, your plans are not your purpose. Your purpose is different. Your purpose is your calling. Okay, we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. Purpose and destiny are very different. Okay, purpose never changes. Destiny changes all the time. Purpose never changes. Destiny changes constantly. Because your purpose is, why are you here? Your destiny is, how do you walk it out? So I've been an evangelist, I've been a pastor, I've done a lot of prophetic ministry, I've been a businessman, I still am, and I'm a teacher. But that's my destiny, that's how I've walked out. My purpose is what? I am a called minister of the gospel to the world. That's my calling, that's who I am. I help people find and fulfill their purpose in God. That's me, that's what I do. Totally confident about that, no questions. But how I've walked that out, I mean, it's changed so many times. So your destiny is the, is the, is the hash mark, here's when I was born, here's when I die, your destiny is all that in between. Your purpose, your calling, which again, we'll talk about that tonight very specifically, never changes. You will be the same person from the moment you're, you're cognitive to the moment you die. If you're following God, you get to walk that out. You're that way no matter what. We all see people who are uh, incredibly influential in evil ways in the world, right? We've all seen that. Why did they have that influence? Because God gives them that influence. It put in them. They just use it the wrong way, right? It's part of their purpose. Part of their destiny was to use it completely differently, but because they never met God, they don't get to do that. So... We're going to talk a lot about destiny. We're going to talk a lot about uh, how to, actually how to discover that. How do you find that out? You know? How do I actually find out what I'm supposed to do? Um, there's another scripture that talks about as a man thinks, so is he. This is another thing, that, and we're going to talk about this this morning a little more. So far, I'm in the middle of my introduction. Is that okay? Okay. We've got to what, 2 o'clock? Is that what you said? Um, so we're going to talk about your thoughts, because if this is where it all begins, guys, right here. It all begins between your ears and how you think. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, as a man thinks, so is he. And he says, as you think in your heart, is actually what it says, or within himself. Your heart is where your spirit, soul, and body all come together. Your heart is the center of you. So... However you think in your heart, and it all starts in your head, 
that's what you're going to be. Well, I always thought of myself as I was a performer. So that's what I always did. I'm doing it right now because that's what I'm made to do. That's who I am, right? I, I know what my... Well, that was better. So I know... I, I think about it all the time. When people come to me with offers and ideas for things for me to do with them, all I have to do is put it up against as a man thinks, and I can go yes or no. It's so easy because I know who I am and what I'm supposed to do. Because I get, I get recruited a lot for a lot of things just because I've been successful in business, because I've been successful in ministry. And you know one of the most anointed words in the whole world is? No. <laughs> it is such an anointed word. Because when you, you can say no and you can say it with confidence. You don't offend the person. Say, no, that's not, I'm, I'm not made for that. I can't do that. I would hurt you, right? I would not be the right guy. So that's one of the, things, one of the main things about knowing who you are. Well, another, another scripture is we're supposed to take every thought captive. Every thought has to be captive. You have to. This wasn't a suggestion. This is, Paul's talking about spiritual warfare. Now listen, spiritual warfare isn't you standing in a room screaming at the devil. That is not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is you controlling this thing between your ears. Spiritual warfare is taking down the thoughts, helping other people do it, okay? I mean, I've been around a lot of intercessors who go pretty wacky with, you know, spiritual warfare. Um, I believe that, yeah, do we wrestle uh, against powers, principles? Yeah, sure we do. But guess what? I win every time, right? Once in a while, they may get a lick in, but in the end, I win because my big brother already beat him up. And I'm calling on my big brother's power to get it done, not my own. Okay, so spiritual warfare, you know, you can go nuts with spiritual warfare. And I've, I know a lot of people, there was a great book uh, John Paul Jackson wrote about unnecessary uh, casualties of war. Because they don't understand what warfare is, right? They get it wrong. They think it's fighting some super spiritual battle. And listen, guys, I do understand the demonic I understand witchcraft. I understand all of that. I've been up against it. I've been around this a long time. I get all that. I've had more demonic encounters than I've had angelic encounters. I get it. Some of you people, you actually know what you're doing and you've had those kind of things. I'm not belittling that at all. I'm just saying this is what God says. Our warfare, weapons of our warfare are to pull down strongholds in our minds. If you're out there fighting more, doing something else, I would have to question what you're doing. That's just my opinion, okay? Not the opinion of anybody who, you know, the, the program or whatever. <laughs> Jim, not Jim's opinion. Okay. So we have to control our mind. See, because it comes down to what do you think of yourself? Oops, sorry, I went too far. That. How do you see yourself? Are you the kitten or are you the lion? And see, if you don't know what your purpose is, if you don't know the very reason, the very thing you're called to do, it's easy to see yourself as the kitten instead of the lion because you probably aren't getting too much stuff done that God's called you to do. It's difficult to do the things that you want to do if you're not in the place you're supposed to be. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Okay, so what I'm saying here is, here's what I believe. I believe you want miracles, you want the power of God released, you want to see amazing things happening in your life and the lives of others, you're going to find it where you are living your purpose out more than any place else. I was a circus jock 
And I would stand there in rhinestone sequins, spandex, and sweat, and people would get saved and healed and delivered and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? I was a marketplace maniac for God. I just, it was, I just, all I wanted was that. I didn't care where I was. And that's where we saw the most miracles. I wasn't a pulpit guy. I didn't, I didn't preach in church. I was out in the marketplace. You know, we did a lot of Jesus festivals. You ever had Jesus festivals up here or anywhere around? They had, in Pennsylvania, they had Jesus festivals all the time, uh, and in Florida and other places. So this one in Florida, in Lancaster County, we would go up there every year for like 10 years of our, our 12 years in existence. And we would be in the children's tent teaching them faith. We're teaching them how to lay hands on each other, how to uh, heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and do all that stuff. So the first night, the first day, we'd get them all saved. Second day, we'd get them all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Third day, and, and healed. And the third day, the tent would be filled of all the adults in the place because they're all, hey, something's happening in the kids' tent. <laughs> so then we would have all the kids. We'd say, okay, anybody who needs healing, you know, stand up. And so we'd have, I mean, people would stand up everywhere. And so then we'd say, okay, kids, you know what to do. The kids would go pray for them, and they'd get healed. Because it wasn't about us. Our job was to equip. And God, you know, there is no baby Holy Spirit. It's just the same Holy Spirit no matter how old you are. So the kids, if they had faith, which we were teaching, hey, just go do it. Just believe God. They'd go do it, and people would get healed. It was awesome. There was also a time when we were doing that. And remember, I'm talking about when you're walking in your purpose, you can see a, some wild stuff happen. If you see yourself as the lion, you can do all things. That's my favorite verse. All things are possible to him who believes. So we would, um, well, there was this one time we were doing a show up in, in New York, and uh, people, a, bunch, a lot of people got healed in the audience, kind of, we call them popcorn, where we wouldn't lay hands on anybody. We'd say, just somebody here, 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 and they'd pop, and people get healed. So after the show, this, uh, this girl comes up, and I, I saw her waiting, because I was always praying for people afterwards, and she's just waiting off to the side. She comes up, and she goes, um, Everybody's gone. All my, my, my crew is all, they're tearing down. They're in the back room, you know, putting costumes away or whatever. So it's just her and me out there in the middle of this big arena. And she goes, will you pray for me? I, she, I said, what's up, sweetie? She goes, I had an abortion. She's like 12. I had an abortion three weeks ago, and I've been bleeding, and I'm in a lot of pain ever since. I said, yes, I will pray for you, of course. So I go to lay my hand on her, and the Lord says, hit her in the stomach. Oh, I don't think that was God. <laughs> you know, so I go to do it, blame my hand, and he goes, hit her in the stomach. I said, okay. I said, sweetheart, I said, I know this is going to sound crazy. I said, but the Lord told me to hit you in the stomach as hard as I could, and he would heal you. And she goes, okay. <laughs> so I'm thinking, this better be you. <laughs> so I buried my fist in her stomach. I mean, I hit her. And, uh, you know, and I mean, my mind is going, as soon as I did it, I went, are you okay? Are you okay? You know? <laughs> and she goes, did you do it? She didn't even feel it. I'm like, I said, are you in pain? She goes, no, the pain's gone. I said, well, go in the bathroom, see if you're still bleeding. So she comes out, she goes, I'm fine, thanks. And she prances off. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? So... Anyway, from that point on, for the next eight years, every time we did a show or any time I was ministering, it was hit this person, slap that person, spit on them, kick them, 
you know, if they got a bad back, you know, put your hand on the back of their neck and one in their stomach and bend them over as hard as you can. And, and every single person was instantly healed. Now, let me tell you, that is the freakiest thing. I mean, I would like to say, yeah, I got used to it. I never got used to it. I mean, we had, we had a line one time. Uh, it was a Jesus festival in the kids' tent, okay? And it's all these adults lined up. I come up to the first guy, what's your problem? Oh, I have an ulcer. So I don't, say, I don't tell anybody what I'm going to do. I never say, here's what I'm going to do. After that, that was the only time I ever said, here's what the Lord told me to do. So I just hit him in the stomach. Bam! Of course, the whole tent goes, <gasps> you know, and he, and he goes, I said, you okay? He goes, well, the pain's gone. I said, okay, so what can't you eat? He goes, oh, I can't eat anything fried. I said, well, there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken vendor right here on the ground. You'll get a bucket and start eating then come back. He came back the next day. I ate the whole bucket, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the next one was a, a woman, probably. She looked like she was 100 years old. She, and she, I said, what's wrong with you, ma'am? She goes, oh, I have gout. So I went, bam, right on her foot, instantly healed. What's wrong with you? Now, the next guy's going, I'm not sure I'm telling you anything, right? <laughs> anyway, so all these people are getting here. So the last guy... He's got a bad back. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, he, whatever he told me. I said, can you bend over? He did about this far, about like that. So I just put my hand on his back, and I, I'm on the back of his neck, and I put one in his stomach, and I went, wham! I mean, and I said, okay, how you feeling? And he goes, well, it doesn't hurt. I said, bend over, touch your toes. He went all the way to his toes, back up, absolutely healed. Now, the tent's freaking out, right? My mind is going atheist, going, lawsuits, you know, you're in trouble. Here's the cool thing. The, guy, the last guy, he was in the full gospel businessman. For the next year, because the next year he came back to the Jesus Festival, came back into the tent. He said, I got to tell you, he said, I gave the testimony of how God healed me when you bent me over. All this last year, I, and over a thousand people have come to the Lord through that testimony. Now, absolutely. I didn't save anybody. I didn't heal them. All I did was obey. But I was in the place. I was positioned for miracles because I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was living my purpose. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I don't care whether you're a janitor. I don't care whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a single mom at home or a mom at home raising kids. You know, whatever you do, a secretary, it doesn't matter what you are. That's where you should expect the miracles, in the marketplace. The vast majority of miracles in the New Testament happened in the marketplace. It didn't happen in the synagogue. A couple did. Most of the time, it's out in the, it's out in the world. It's out in, listen, guys, we are not called to go into the, into the church building. We're not, where's the rest of Columbus this morning? They're not here, are they? They're out there, and it's five, six days a week out there where we get to do this. This is celebration. This is like, hey, yeah, maybe I need a little collective, you know, more faith to get something done here. But it's supposed to happen out there. Not here. It's marketplace. And see, if you're living your purpose, this 99.9% of the church is not supposed to be in the pulpit. You're not supposed to be on staff at a church. You're supposed to be out in the world, being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, being that city set on a hill, not the city set inside a building. Right? And if you know your purpose and you're walking that out, it's not that hard. 
Oh, that's good preaching. I don't care what you say. Okay. All right. So here's what we want to do. I'm going to show you how powerful your mind is. I mean, some of you are kind of tilting right now anyway. I don't know if I believe this guy, and I get that. Sometimes I don't believe me, and I'm listening to my, my own stories. So, but here's what we're going to do. I'm, going to have, I'm just going to show you something. So I'm going to have you, in a second, I'm going to have you stand up. I'm going to show you what we're going to do. We're all going to do it together. You're going to put your finger up like this, bring it right down in front of you, feet about this far apart, and then keeping your hips forward, you're going to twist around, looking at your finger, and find a point on the wall as far as you can, then come back, but don't hurt yourself, and then come back. All right, everybody stand up. Put your stuff down. Make sure there's enough space so you don't hit somebody in the eye. Okay. Here we go. Put your finger up like this. Bring it down in front of you. Turn to the right as far as you can. Pick a point out on the wall. Come right back. Okay, come back. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. See yourself going past that point. Open your eyes. Do it again. Same thing. Go ahead. <laughs> How many of you went past the point? Look around. Look, 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 look. Anybody who didn't, don't feel bad. Not, it, 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 really, you can sit down. Now, let me tell you what just happened. Let me tell you what just happened. How many of you, how many went way past the point? Look at the hands. How many of you just went a little bit past the point? Okay, how many of you wouldn't raise your hand for anything? <laughs> okay, so, so here's the deal. What, here's what you just did. You just did something... And you said to yourself, that's as far as I can go. That's the best I can do. That is the very best I can do. I gave you three seconds to think differently, and you did more than you could before. Do you understand how po the power of your brain? Your mind, how you think? If you think you can't, you won't. If you think you can, you will. When I read that we lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, I said, that's me. I'm going for it. I laid hands on probably 200 people before I saw the first person instantly healed, and that was of a headache. But I'm going, whoa. <laughs> I got a headache hand. <laughs> you know, and the person with the headache didn't care. They're like, yeah, it was awesome. And then we slowly started seeing more and more and more things happen. But I changed my thinking. When I, see, here's the thing. Remember I said, when, when I got born again, I had nothing to forget. So when I read the Bible, I just said, well, this must, if this is the truth, and I believed it was, then whatever it says, I'm going to do that. I mean, it was that simple to me. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm like, okay, so lay hands on sick. Okay, cool. Why didn't it happen? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep going. It's not my job to heal. My job is to lay hands. And I believe every single person I laid hands on got healed whether I saw it or not. It didn't matter to me because I believe the Bible is true. Listen, if you don't believe the Bible is the absolute, infallible, incorruptible, and can't never be proven wrong word of God, you're already starting behind. You have to believe it. You know, people say, well, you know, the Bible, you know, men wrote it, and da da da. You know, so there's all kinds of interpretations. I said, you know what? You don't, you've never read the Bible. I know they never read the Bible because the Bible is a living force. And if you read it, something's going to happen to you. So I challenge people all the time. Okay, really? So you're saying the Bible isn't true. It isn't what, what it says it is. 
So I challenge you to prove it. I don't have to prove that it's real. You have to prove it's not. And I guarantee you, if you really sincerely try to prove it, you're going to become a Christian. You're going to become a believer in Jesus. Because every person who's ever really tried it has become that. There's some great stories out there. My two favorite, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, those two. If you don't know those two guys, look them up, read their stories. Amazing. So you have to start out there. You have to change the way you think. The power of your mind is just so cool. But you have to focus. That picture right there, that's me. I'm on a ladder. That ladder is on a wire about the size of a pencil. And it's called a slack wire. So what you do on a slack wire is the, slack, the wire is always moving, and you actually use the movement of the wire to balance, unlike a tight wire or a high wire. Now, why, my wife did high wire with a pole and all that. So uh, my head's maybe 15 feet in the air, and you can see down at the bottom that's a steel beam directly under me because it was a self-contained rig. So if I fell, that's where I'm going. So you have to make sure that you are focused. So if you look at my face, I'm looking straight down at the end of the wire, right about where that light is. Because when you're, when you're walking a wire, I don't care what kind of wire it is, but particularly with a slack wire, you have to concentrate on the one thing that never changes. And in a slack wire, the only thing that doesn't change is where the wire is connected to the frame. Everything, the rest of the wire is moving all the time. Actually, use the movement to balance with. So I'm looking at that one point. I have to stay completely focused on that to keep my balance with everything else. And I have to kind of ignore everything else that's going on. I've only, I only fell twice uncontrolled doing that act in 17 years. Both times it was because I took my eyes off the immovable. I was distracted both times. Okay. Now, there was a point where you get good enough to where you can turn to the audience and you know, give a little bit of a bow, but you've got to come right back. So you have to learn to focus your thinking, focus your mind, focus your life on what it is that God's called you to do. And remember, that makes no a lot easier to say. But you have to discipline your mind. So I'm the catcher in that photo. Here's, that's called a passing leap. One of the craziest tricks. I don't know whoever invented it. But so I just caught the guy who's on, at the bottom. I caught him by his legs, swung out, come back, and I have to let him go so he can grab the trapeze that the guy on top is just coming off of and coming forward over, and I've got to catch him as I'm letting go of the other guy. And then I'm going to swing back, and then I've got to throw him back to the thing. So that's one of the more dangerous tricks in flying because there's so many things involved in it. The thing is, you have to keep your mind disciplined the whole time because if you get distracted and you're not doing the right thing at the right time, those guys can hit each other, the guy can kick you in the face who's coming across. I mean, there's so many different variables. And the thing is, in a circus, this was at Florida State, by the way, in the circus, there's music blaring, there's people moving around everywhere, some people are screaming, some people are going, whoa, you know, you got all this stuff going on. Plus, you have a coach on the ground who is telling the flyers when to leave the platform to come to you. And everything about that trick is on me. I'm the one who says yes or no. I catch them. All they do is the guy puts his legs out, I have to grab the legs. The guy puts his hands out, I have to grab his hands. Because if we both try and catch each other, we're going to do this. So a flyer, they know they just come out like that. 
But this guy, he's coming forward like this, which is much harder to catch. So I have to make these split-second decisions doing that about whether I can catch this guy or not, which is why I love to be in the catcher, because it was all on me, right? And that's all I cared about then was to be the guy who everybody had to rely on. I was the guy, right? I was too big to be a flyer. Those two guys probably weigh about 135, 140 pounds. I weighed 180. You, you, and I was too long. I was too big to be a flyer, so I had to be a catcher. But here's what the coach said to me, because I said, I want to be a flyer. He says, you're too big. And I said, uh, gosh, what do I do? And he goes, be a catcher. And I said, why? He said, because a catcher is involved in every single trick, and he's the one who runs the act, basically, because he makes all the decisions. The flyer is only in about every other, every third trick. I went, oh, cool. <laughs> so I was in charge? Yeah, you're in charge. I like that. <laughs> I'm just telling you where I was, guys, okay? But that's what I was made to do, too. But you have to discipline your mind. You have to discipline your, this thing right here. You have to. You have to. This is where it all happens. This is where the warfare is. So here's how your mind works. Oops, sorry. Hello. We're not working. Did I turn this thing off? Okay. That's not what I wanted. We'll get to that. Go back one, two, three. Is that the next slide? Okay, good. Sorry. It's different on mine. I changed mine last night. Sorry about that. Okay. How many of you saw The Matrix? Ooh, cool. I've said that sometimes people go, what? <laughs> but I know who your pastor is. So in the Matrix, remember when Neo is being offered the red pill or the blue pill? Remember that? He had to make a decision. Where do you think they got that idea? Red pill, blue pill. There's actually a study done in 1972. This is a real thing. Uh, and in that study, they took 100 Harvard medical students. And they took, they, said, they took, split them in half, said, okay, U50, we're going to give you an amphetamine, which is speed, which is a stimulant. And you, you other 50, we're going to give you a barbiturate, which is like quaaludes, it just, you know, slows you down, right? You get real tired, get real mellow. So the thing was, they lied to them, and they gave them the exact opposite of what they told them. So the red pill really was the blue pill, and the blue pill really was the red pill. But here's what happened. Both, 100% of those students had the symptoms immediately afterwards of what they were told they took. And they found out that their bodies actually created what they were told they were taking to the extent that it overpowered what they actually took. Because they believed, they thought, therefore they believed, they were getting one thing, and so their bodies made it. Pretty amazing. That's the power of your mind. It's one of the most famous uh, studies done on, on, because they were trying to figure out how does, how, does, uh, how does your thinking affect medications if you're taking medications. So very, very amazing, um, amazing experiment. Your mind, how are we transformed by what? Renewing our mind. Doesn't say you're transformed by coming to church. Doesn't say you're transformed by worship. Doesn't say you're transformed just by reading the word of God. 
you're transformed by renewing your mind. And guess what? You need all those things to renew your mind. But, you know, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? It, just, it's, it doesn't work that way. Your mind is where it all begins. So everything we do in this seminar, has to, it starts here. It starts with your mind. It starts with, okay, what do I believe? And who do I really believe that I am? How do I see myself? All those things are in play. So what I'm going to give you over these next couple of days is I'm going to give you really good tools. People ask me all the time, can you tell me what my purpose is? No, but I can tell you how to find out. I can give you the tools. See, I see myself, I'm like, a, I'm like the guy at Home Depot in the orange apron, right? I'm not going to come and do whatever little thing you're, you need done, but I'll show you where the tools are, Right? I'll show you where the tools are. Yeah, here's what you need. But I I can't do it for you. Right? So this is where you've got to get disciplined in your mind. So, um, okay, we're almost done. How much time do we have? Am I over? Am I okay? Okay. Um, Just a couple more things here. So go to the next slide there, because I've got different slides than he has. Okay, red pill, blue pill. Next slide is, do we know? There we go. Okay. Action begins with thoughts. You do what you think about most, right? Action begins with thoughts. Next one. Thoughts begin with input. You have to have input. Something has to make you think what you're thinking, right? Next one is input begins with influence. You see, I can have a lot of input, but it depends on whether I believe that that person or believe that source, how much credibility I give that source, how much influence does that source have on me? So if I want my thoughts to be right, what did God say? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He didn't say they couldn't be. He just was saying they're not at the moment. So if God is your greatest influence, if the word of God is your greatest influence, then he, those are the thoughts you're going to think. That's what transforms you, and that's what transforms your actions. Do you get that? I mean, it's a little cerebral for Sunday morning, but it's really how it works. So your greatest influence is going to be the greatest source of your thoughts. Does that make sense to you? Because that's where you're getting most of your influence. That's what you believe. So <clears throat> last slide. My little clicker here isn't working at all. Um, The last slide should say, next slide, yeah, so the last slide is just about what's your greatest influence. What's your greatest influence? Who influences you the most? Who influences, what influences you the most? Because if you're going to do your purpose, you've got to have that one down. What's your greatest influence? Until you get that, you'll be a little stuck. Our greatest influence is the Lord. Remember, he knows the plans he has for you. He knows them. He has them. And you can have them. How do we get them? We have a wonderful helper called the Holy Spirit. It says he will lead us and guide us into the truth, show us things to come, reveal the deepest things of God to us. Would that include your purpose? Absolutely will. He wants to show you. You just have to position yourself for that to happen. <clears throat> so 
here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I believe this week God is going to give, he's going to set some of you free from the constraints that have held you back from going for the things you've always wanted to go for. I find this, always, there's always people. In fact, let me just ask you a question. How many of you have a dream from God that you've had for a long time? Look around, just, it's a lot of folks. Okay, would you, how many of you, just raise your hand, really would like to see that happen? You'd like to do those things? Okay. I'm going to give you the tools, number one, to find out was it really God. I mean, if you had, if you had, let me ask you a question. How many of you have an absolute foolproof system for knowing every time that God actually spoke to you? One person. Okay, two. Okay, that's cool. All right, I'm going to give you one of those. I'm going to give you a system. I've been using it for 40 years. It has never failed me. Not once. Have I failed it? Oh, yeah. But it's never failed me. If I do everything, there's only seven points. If I do all seven, no problem. I don't always have to do all seven. We'll talk about that. But I'll tell you what, you do all seven, there's no question. No question. That's worth this, the whole admission price. Just that one. So let me pray for you right now. Because I believe God's going to give you visions and dreams this week. I believe he's going to send angels to work with some of you. I believe you're, you're by, the, by, by Tuesday night when we're finished that you're going to be different. You're going to be more confident. And you know you're going to have the tools in your hand to actually get going on the things that God's told you to do. All right, so Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the teacher. You're the guide. You're the comforter. You're the counselor. You're the one who reveals the deepest things of God to us. Father, I know you want to tell us why we're here. You want to reveal your plans to us. It's not you holding back. So we're coming saying, Father, give us everything. Show us our purpose. Show us our destiny. Help us to plan it out, the plans that you have for us. And Father, help us to become exactly who you made us to be. And it doesn't matter what our age, because you can do more in a day than we've done in our lifetime. You proved that with Joseph. We thank you, God. We thank you. We thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. And help us to position ourselves to do this with you. Not for you. With you. Because you deserve it.